0: But before we do so, a quick word from our sponsor. Deciding how and when to pay off student loans is not an easy decision for most. Many of you are feeling weighed down by your mortgage-sized student loans and are asking yourself, how did I get into this mess? Student loans contribute to stress and burnout for PAs, as well as other high-earning professionals. Many PAs, even with the best of intentions, unfortunately make poor financial decisions on their student loans. Look no further than studentloanadvice.com. For a few hundred dollars, they will meet with you for about an hour. They'll go over your personal student loan situation and help you come up with a plan for optimizing your student loan management. Find out how much they can save you today at studentloanadvice.com PAFI. And if you are interested in learning more, check out the PA the FIWay podcast episode 42, where Andrew, one of the co-founders, joined me as a guest. Otherwise, head over to studentloanadvice.com slash P-A-F-I. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the F-I-Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and we have Caroline back on the show today. Caroline joined us last week, and she went into a ton of details about working as a locum tenens P.A., and she touched a little bit on 1099 work, but today we're going to start the show by picking up kind of where we left off, talking about 1099 contract workers as PAs, but also dive into more on the topic of locums working as a PA as well. So welcome back to the show, Caroline.
1: Hi, thanks. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much for all the advice that you've been sharing. I think that the listeners will come away from these two episodes with just a ton of information, so I think that it's been super valuable, so I appreciate your time that you've taken to share all the information. So let's touch a little bit more about 1099. Are most PAs that work locum's positions 1099 contract workers? And then also, what does working as a 1099 actually mean?
1: I would say majority of locums contracts seem to be ten ninety nine, but you can find a large amount of W two. So to explain ten ninety nine, I'll first explain briefly W two to better understand the differences between the two. So with a W two job, the employer is responsible for employer taxes. So that lessens your tax burden in some ways because they're paying some towards social security, Medicare, and some towards your, your federal and state taxes that, and then the W2 employee for the rest of the taxes that you owe, they'll actually automatically deduct that from your paycheck. So probably many of the listeners are currently W2. So, you know, you look in the you get your tax returns and you see just how much money uncle Sam got every year from your job. Uh, it is easier And you don't have to worry about payroll expenses and filing your own taxes. Like there's definitely some ease that comes from being a W-2. And they also are more likely to pay you overtime because many states have requirements that W-2 employees have to be paid for their overtime. So it is a popular way to locums. And I've met PAs. That's all they want to do is W-2. They love that W-2. I personally am... 1099. So 1099 is comes from that's the the ten ninety nine NEC is what you get at the end of the year to help determine your taxes. So you're working as an independent contractor, meaning you are not an employee of the company. So instead of being an employee of, we'll just say Comp Health or Barton Associates, you are actually a employee of your own. Business, So to start 1099s, I, would, if that's something you're interested in doing, I would definitely advise incorporating yourself and making yourself into an LLC or an S-corp. Sure. As a 1099, you are 100% responsible for all taxes. You might not be getting overtime, and they will typically pay you a little bit more if you do a 1099. So some places say, hey, you can be a W-2 at this rate or a 1099 at this rate, and they usually be about a 15% difference because they're not paying employer taxes for you. So they're giving you that extra money into your pocket for when you theoretically pay your taxes. The benefit of a 1099 is that you're able to declare business expenses. So as a W-2 employee, you know, you're not able to deduct, you know, lunch, um, from your paycheck, or deduct gas from driving to work, because all that stuff is not, and you, you can't claim business expenses as a W-2, because the expense is, what, 12000 I think, each year, that's like, kind of, your, if it's anything less than that, you can't deduct, and even as a W-2, you can't actually claim expenses. This has been, like, a popular discussion on different Facebook groups, but it is ultimately no, like WTU cannot claim these business expenses. As a 1099, you're able to actually lower your tax burden because you're able to decrease the amount of money that you make on paper. So let's say that you're paid $100,000 on a 1099 assignment for the year. That $100,000 can start to look closer to $60,000 when you factor in all your business expenses. So maybe the flight you took to get there, your gas that you use, shoes, scrubs, um, CME opportunities, um, all of these things can be deducted and it makes your taxable income less. So instead of being in a tax bracket of 100,000, now you're in a tax bracket of 60,000. Nice. You can even get a little bit more fancy with this and have a tax accountant look at your business and able to actually find these different ways of lowering your tax burden, even more so completely legally. There's, I always reference when people are like, is what, are are you doing something illegal? I (laughs) always reference that Trump legally paid less than a thousand dollars in taxes. Um, you know, a few years ago when those, when his taxes were leaked. So uh, he was able to do this because he had a very good accountant and he had the money to pay people to find loopholes for him. Yep, And so these things have been, uh, are things that people with money have taken advantage of for a very long time. And, This is attainable to you as well as a 1099 PBA if you spend a little bit of money on a tax accountant who's, who's knowledgeable and is able to find these very legal deductions for you to take. But to really understand 1099, you first need to look at what's involved with making yourself into your own business. I know when I first heard that, I was like, S Corp. LLC, C-Corp, what does this all mean? It was just, it felt like a foreign language. I would look online to try to understand more. And I think that there's like, a conspiracy out there to not make this stuff readily understandable online, because this is like what tax accountants do. And so you try to read about it online and you're like, you're just clueless. You just see a bunch of ads for a tax accountant, and, which is what I finally did. Cause I just, I gave up, I want to do it myself and save the money, but there's just so much involved. And uh, I have met some PAs that were actually doing it on their own for a few years, and they finally bit the bullet and got a tax accountant, and they were amazed at how much money they were leaving on the table. Sure. Long story short, tax accountants are, are a good way to go if you're wanting to do this. But the first step is to create yourself as a business, like a business entity. And you do that by filing with your state's office. And they'll give you what's called an EIN or an employee identity number. And that's how you are marked as an employer. If you look at your own W-2 paycheck, you'll see EIN written in some, some numbers, maybe like eight or nine numbers after it. And that is what your clinic is. That's their EIN or the hospital system you work in. That's their EIN, but it's basically a number that's tagged to paychecks that allows it to pay its own taxes, and that's how the IRS references taxes back and forth. That to get an EIN, again, you just sign up with your state. It gives give it a few weeks, and they'll issue it to you. And then now you're official business entity. So the next step is to get a business bank account. So this bank account will be used to do all of your business expenses straight from it. So you can have a business credit card linked to your business account. And that's how you'll charge your gas and your airfare and, and all your medical supplies. You just use that specific card. Once you have your business account set up and you have your EIN and everything's, everything's good to go, then you have to look at next step of how do I set up my own payroll? Since you're an independent contractor, one way is ignore all that and just give 35% of your income to Uncle Sam. Most would advise against that. Um, the most practical next step is to actually make yourself an employee of your business. And you pay yourself a set rate every month. Sure. And then you'll actually get a W-2 at the end of the year from your business. And that W-2 will have taxes taken out of it. But you're not having the same pay rate. Let's say you make $10,000 or $8,000 in one month. Your pay might actually only be closer to $5,000 because $3,000 that month were, were spent on various business expenses. So again, that lowers your tax burden. It's kind of cool at the end of the year, I will say, seeing like your own W-2 with your name on it and like your social security number, but also your business entity and your EIN. Like it is very exciting. It certainly certainly makes you feel like you've made it. Uh, and so I, I've <laughs> loved great. getting to see that this year. Yeah, it's been super cool. And the other thing that's great about having a business account is, as you recall from your podcast about talking about business about getting points, you can get a business credit card that has an introductory on it. So I got the Chase Inc. business card. And at the time, it had a 50,000 point bonus. So nice. I had to spend like $3,000 in a certain period of time. And then I got the point bonus. So I got 50,000 points. And those are going towards a trip to Greece next month.
0: Yeah, uh, that's so exciting. I, I,
1: yes so uh, a great way to to maximize your points is having a credit card that earns you points for business expenses as well as your personal credit card for points and some might wonder how are you able to really churn up that many business expenses like or is it really worth it to do all this and, sure. and one way to look at it is when I'm in New York I'm on a business trip so that means all of my food, Is deductible Mm -hmm. because I'm not I'm not home. So with having those business expenses, that that really adds up when you're on assignment. If all your food for the month is a business expense, then that's that much less of a tax burden that you're responsible for at the end of the day.
0: Thank you, Caroline, for sharing many of the benefits of working as a 1099 worker on some of these locums positions. Can you share what some of the disadvantages of being a ten eighty nine PA would be if you feel like there are any disadvantages?
1: The only disadvantage I would see is the complexity of it. Some people are just kind of overwhelmed at the thought of it. And I know when I started learning more and digging deeper and realizing what I was doing, I was like, oh my gosh, like a W-2 would have just been so much easier. And that's something, of course, to factor in. But I say, short of the complexity, and you know, dealing with oh, that was another thing. Like my my payroll was done incorrectly, and then I had to be back and forth with a company that I had paid to do my payroll for me, and that was exhausting. Just going back and forth with them, and not able to get a hold of somebody, and then I'm you know missing the tax deadline and having to uh, having to get a tax extension. Like that was exhausting, and that's not something I would have had to deal with as a W two, but I prefer to just think of it as I'm just being paid for that exhaustion. And at the end of the day, it's still worth it for me on my journey for financial independence.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And when you are on these locums assignments, how in the world do you find housing? What does housing look like when you are in these different states? And have you stayed in a variety of different places? Or can you share some details about that?
1: A good way of finding housing in a different place is looking for either Airbnbs or a thing called Sonder, I've had luck with in New York. And it's nice because you can, with Sonder, you can like book a period of days and let's say that you need to shorten it. It's similar to a hotel and that you can get some money back if you shorten it. Um, but then opportunities like Airbnb can be the most cost effective. And able to have a, you know, a microwave and a fridge and an oven, like all the things that feel like home. But Airbnb is not as easy to get your money back on. You know, you can't like call a host and say, my contract was actually canceled. Can I, can I be refunded that money? Like it, it just, it doesn't work as easily that way. Sure. Um, and the way you're funding these is that many of these uh, locum jobs will give you a housing stipend. Okay. So you take that money, you put it towards housing of your choice, and you kind of take the risk that it's that you're saving more overall by doing that. Uh, many of the companies will give you the option that they'll cover your own housing and they'll pick where you stay and you'll get a lower pay rate in return. Uh, Sometimes depending on where you are, that can be more cost effective, but at other times it's actually better for you to take that housing stipend and to put it towards your own housing.
0: Okay. Can you say that name of the service or company that you used in New York one more time? Sonder. Okay.
1: But Sonder has locations all over the U.S. and even in other countries too, but it is kind of a, it's like a more flexible Airbnb.
0: Okay. I see. Very interesting. Cool. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with that. All right. And then once you have your first day on a new locums assignment, what does your training period look like? Is there any form of consistency or is it just totally dependent on the location and how long does the training usually last? If there is even any training.
1: Very dependent on the location that you're on. I had one position this year where I had one day of training, like a full day, where I followed around PA and he kind of showed me the way they do things at the hospital. And I was able to see a little bit about how they chart and their, their EMR system. Um, but then the next day I was, I was on my own. It was time to go. I of course could ask questions to the staff that were there and they were very helpful, but it was an expectation that, you know, just a brief training and then we want to see that you're able to be working. And that's why having experience is, is very important. Um, there is also a time where it show up and then you're just completely thrown into it. Um, I also did an assignment as a vaccine uh, manager. So I was like managing a lot of nurses at a mass vaccination site. And for that, it has kind of showed up, I followed someone around for half a day and then they were like, okay, go manage those nurses. And uh, so it is a, it's very dependent on the site, but in general, I wouldn't expect more than a day or two of training and, and wouldn't be surprised if you're getting five minutes of training.
0: Sure. And then what is your schedule like when you are working as a locums PA? And then do you try to, you know, work so many months or weeks in a row and then do you take some time off or how does that look like for you?
1: Schedule is very variable. Um, I, For example, last year I was doing an assignment where I was actually working 80 hours a week and I kept that up for a few weeks and then I was like, oh, I'm getting a little tired. <laughs> and so I reached out and I was like, could I you know, decrease my shifts from six, 12 and a half hour shifts a week to five? And they were agreeable to that. And going from six to five, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have so much free time!" And so I was working, you know, over sixty hours a week. But I was just hustling. I, mean, I was making money, and I was really just kind of viewing that period of time that I was there as the time that I'm on work, if I have time to hang out with friends that I've made or to see new things, then then all the power, that's that's great. But I, I view when I'm on assignment as like, I'm there just to work constantly. And, and so that when I go home, I can know that I can be lazy and relax and feel like I've really earned my break. Uh, I also very much am on the model of work hard, play hard. So I like to arrange my schedule with a lot of shifts in a row and then have off for a few weeks. And I've, I've found that to be very nice. And I started doing that just this year. Last year, I just pretty much worked all the time aside from a couple of breaks that I took to go on some big and exciting trips. But other than that, I worked a lot.
0: <laughs> awesome. So what do you like to do during your time off when you aren't working between those assignments?
1: So last year when I was working those crazy hours, I, of course, was focusing on, oh, I'm going to pay off my student debt. This is this is exciting. But I found that I was getting tired, even (laughs) even knowing the excitement of paying towards my debt. I just I realized I needed something to look forward to. So. uh, last year when the, when the money uh, coming in was very good, I had uh, reached out to my older sister and I was like, Hey, do you want to go to Iceland? And, and we did something that we had talked about before and we had gone to New York together a few years ago, but she's got, you know, she has two kids. And, uh, and so when they, when they, they, they have money that they use to go on trips together as a family, but they, you know, they didn't budget for her to go on this, you know, big trip to Iceland uh, for a week. And so I was like, what if, what if we went together and what if this is something I was able to do and, and pay for? And uh, it gave me something to really look forward to. And uh, my sister and I had an amazing time together and it was just uh, such a great way to, to use the money that I was making. To have an amazing experience uh, with someone that I really care about, I also used the money for another trip to go to Peru, and I went on a medical mission trip with Mountain Medics International. And you know, normally people go on those medical trips and they, you know, have sponsors to help them pay for that, pay for their way. People donate to them, but being able to go on that medical trip without asking for sponsors, I just found very uh, rewarding, and uh, I loved it being like, "Hey, I'm." able to fund my own medical mission trip and have this great experience in Peru where uh, I met some really amazing people and actually connected me to the medical trip I'm going on this summer to Pakistan
0: awesome that sounds so cool what did you enjoy most about the mission trip that you were on
1: I think that medical trips help to reinvigorate your desire to be in medicine. Uh, I think you can be working in you know the, the best environment, you know maybe not have any burnout, but practicing in America can still just be kind of draining. Um, there is still just a lot of bureaucracy, no matter where you are, and a lot of uh, you know having to document things the right way. And you go on a medical trip and you know, you're not even writing stuff down on paper. Like it's very, you know, you're just focusing on the patient and the the relationship with them and, and being able to treat them. And you can see people that maybe haven't seen a doctor in 20 years or see someone who's never seen a doctor. I had my first experience with a medical mission trip when I was at NPA school. We had an option to go to Belize. Uh, Belize is for one of our rotations. Sure. And I went there for a month and I, I loved it. Um, just being able to be so close to the people there and uh, live at the clinic and just have these incredible experiences and really see how people live in their community. And it's one thing to travel to a city, but if you're able to, you know, be in that very vulnerable position of someone talking to to their medical provider, you just really see things that you might not have normally seen, like talking to someone about abuse that they're experiencing at home or, or see people uh, very upset that their children aren't growing because they don't have enough food for them or, uh, and believes, you know, seeing people that had type two diabetes that they couldn't, they couldn't treat because they don't have refrigerators. So once they get to the point of requiring insulin, they pass away. And like, you know, just talking to them about, hey, well, you know, eat a little bit less carbs, lay off the corn. And then finding out they only had corn to eat. Mm. You know, the the vegetables in their their cities were going to the children and then the adults were just living off of corn tortillas. It was, it's just so eye-opening to really see the differences and makes you more grateful when you come back to America that even though there's this bureaucracy, uh you do have it very good. So yeah, exciting in the sense of avoiding the uh being able to be a little more simpler and writing out and being able to just focus on the patient. Um, but also coming back and being extremely grateful for your life situations as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think you touched on so many things there. I grew up going on mission trips as a teenager and then a young adult as well. But the only somewhat medical trip that I've been on so far was during PA school as well. Went to St. Lucia for a couple of weeks on the very poor side of the island and did some medical service there. And I've been wanting to go on a medical mission trip. And my sister's in the dental field working as a dental assistant. So we're trying to sync up a trip that we can go on together where I'm doing medical work. She's doing dental work. She has a couple of kiddos. So it's been kind of challenging. And then with the COVID pandemic to align so to speak this trip so fingers crossed that hopefully we can figure out a trip that we can go on soon because I think it'd be really fun and like you said too, just really remind you all of the things that we have in our amazing country and just be really truly grateful for what all we have and try to remind ourselves why we went into medicine to serve others. So thanks for sharing your insight on that, Caroline.
1: Yes. And uh, I like that you brought up that you went on those mission trips too as a kid. I did as well through my church. And I remember I was a part of the Baptist church and we had, we were a group called GAs, like girls in action. And part of our job when we were in elementary school is we would write letters to missionaries wherever they were in the country, I mean, in the world. And as a kid, I thought that was so incredible. And I was like, and it very much made me get a focus of, you know, I was interested in medicine, but like in, in early elementary school, I was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to learn Spanish and I'm going to go and just be a full-time medical missionary as a doctor. And I just thought it was, you know, the pinnacle of cool and of course, and so I really did focus on learning Spanish. And I lived abroad when I was in college and was really focused on that plan. And then, you know, PA school became the most valid option. So for me, having this locum schedule and being able to take time off allows me to kind of flex this childhood dream I had of, you know, practicing medicine in a Spanish-speaking country, um, but still being able to have some income, too, as and as, as not being like a full-time uh, medical missionary.
0: Nice. Awesome. And we've talked about locums throughout this episode as well as the last episode, but can you share what are some of the alternatives to working locums assignments that are still some type of contract work for PAs?
1: I am currently doing a non-locums tenants assignment in New York City. The hospital that I was on as a locums tenants worker when the contract ended and they asked if I wanted to stay on as a per diem worker. And so that's something I've been able to do for the last several months is just contracted directly with the hospital as a as an employee. So I'm not working as an independent contractor. I am W2 with them. Um, But being able to have a schedule and helping fill in for them when they have empty spots has been nice to have this job to know like, okay, there is a source of income, there is a place that is needing workers, at least for the time being until they have um, more staff, which, which they're working on now. I'm also working as a homeless street outreach worker in New York, which is a 1099 position. And it's also a flexible schedule um, while they're looking to hire you know, more full-time providers. And so that job allows me to do kind of in-country mission work and able to walk around helping serving the homeless population in New York and doing like rugged street medicine, which I find very exciting and a way to uh, continue to to flex my my medical missions muscles. Um, and, it is, uh, and it's another way to keep funding my business with 1099 income since the W-2 income is not able to go towards business expenses.
0: Sure. Awesome. Yeah, I think you touched on a great point there as well, that even though there are so many medical mission trips that we can go on out in the world and in the future and things like that, it's important to try to look around and how see how we can best serve the communities that we're currently in. So thanks for sharing that as well.
1: Definitely. And the thing to bring up too about what makes these non-locums is they're not covering housing. So the homeless job that I work, it doesn't cover housing. So you have to factor that in, like, is it still worth it? Um, and when I look at the average salary in Tennessee right now is 50 to $55 an hour for a PA, as long as you're making enough money in New York City to still be in the surplus when you factor in the cost of housing, then naturally that's still a, a better option than, you know, working in your home state if that's if you're looking for maximizing your income.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's incredibly disheartening to hear how low the pay is on average in Tennessee. That is so sad as APPs, you know, to be offered that type of pay. So, you know, it might work okay with the cost of living out there and things like that. But I really encourage PAs to consider negotiating and looking for other positions or like you said, consider 1089 jobs or things like that and feel like you don't have to settle for low pay as a medical provider.
1: Definitely. I feel like you could do a whole episode on the devaluization of PAs right now in, in some states, uh, but yeah, whole other, whole other topic.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Save that for another day, right? <laughs> yeah. And then Caroline, why do you think working as a locums PA could be a great fit for those PAs that are pursuing financial independence?
1: It's a good option for PAs pursuing financial independence because, one, it does give you a higher rate of pay. And as we know about compounding interest, let's say that you're making a good amount of money at the beginning of the year, you can actually put that extra income directly into a brokerage account and let that grow and even if at the end of the year things slow down or maybe you're not taking as many shifts that money that you made then is growing I also think it allows for you to better visualize that financial independence lifestyle because in a way you're living financially independent for a few, a few weeks at a time so for me right now when I have off that time I kind of focus on different things when I come home so uh this past month, I focused on learning more about money and learning more about uh, what I can do to save and different different brokerages accounts. Um, and then the next time I'm home, I'll focus on travel. And that's when I'll go to Greece. And then when I come home the next time, I'll set a new focus on what I can do to improve myself in different ways. And then the next month I come home, I'll go on the medical trip to Pakistan. So I think it allows for you to pursue your passions, which for mine is travel. And that's something I hope to do more of, like, even in, I feel like I'm traveling a lot now, but I want to continue to travel and to see this, how much outside of your job um, your life can be enriched with. And also focusing on family. When I come home, spending time with my nieces and nephews, like it, this allows you to, to see how much, how much in your life there is to love and be grateful for without that job in the background. And it lets you know, like, Hey, I can hit financial independence and I'm still going to have this very enriching life. If I want to, if I want to work, that's great. But I think sometimes people have a hard time visualizing financial independence and what they would do with themselves because they've never had a chance to see what their life is like without school or without work. So this locums allows for you to maximize your income as well as really visualize yourself in a financial independent
0: lifestyle sure it almost gives you kind of a taste of what what your life could look like once you have reached fi i think that's great yes (laughs) very cool so caroline what drew you to the financial independence community personally and then why are you pursuing fi we touched on this a little bit but if you have more to add please do so and then also what's your philosophy on money
1: I was drawn to financial independence community out of finally thinking outside, what can I do with my money? As my student debt decreased more and more, I knew that I was going to have to start to learn a little bit more about my finances. When I graduated PA school, I met with a free financial advisor at the place where I was working. And he just said, you know your friends are going to be buying houses. Your your friends are going to be maybe doing different investments. He's like, look, you have seven point five percent interest rate on over a hundred thousand dollars in debt. He was like, you're going to have a hard time maximum like making more money in other ways. And he was like, so right now just focus on paying off that debt. And so that's what I was really focused on. Was just any extra money. I went to my debt, plus I made sure I had fun travels and great experiences along the way. But overall really focusing on that debt. So when that debt started to disappear, I was like, well crap, what do I do now? I don't I don't know what to do. I'd always I my plan was always pay off, pay off, pay off. So then I was like, okay, I gotta learn a little bit more about finances. So that's what prompted me to read a simple path to wealth, you know, the the go-to book I think for people that are just trying to learn about finances and with that book I learned you don't have to have a like you can you can invest on your own like I thought you had to I thought Fidelity like chose these things for you it's like I didn't know what an IRA stood for what Roth meant. I didn't even know that you could make too much money to contribute to a Roth and then there's the backdoor Roth I'm telling it was just a whole new world (laughs) but uh yes, I I came to it because I had to start thinking outside of, okay, now that the debt's gone, what do I do?
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that so many people learn about financial independence once they have been in that mode of paying off debt, paying off debt, paying off debt. And then it's like, well, what's next? How do you actually build wealth for your future self? Yeah. So
1: Yes. And as far as my philosophy on money and kind of what drew me into the financial independence lifestyle was I, I did grow up in a home where my parents did not have very good financial literacy. And I I saw the effects of credit card debt. And it made me very fe- fearful of having credit cards and very just debt averse in general. I know that there's successful people who have kind of done the minimum on their student debt and have found ways to maximize their money. And I understand that some people love that and probably think I'm silly for paying off my debt so fast. But growing up in that household, it did very much make me debt averse. And so for my for my psyche, paying off debt uh, quick was important. And as far as philosophies beyond that, I do think that working in healthcare has shown me how finite our lives are And, you know, you see people all the time who come in, you know, at 60, and they have a heart attack and they die. And you're like, gosh, this person might have just retired, and they're not even able to take advantage of this money. Or you see someone who's your age, who has a horrible accident, maybe they're brain dead, or maybe they've gotten it, maybe they're paralyzed, and they're going to, you know, it changes the way that they can travel. So I always keep that in the back of my mind of I, you know, as much as I want to to save, I also want to make sure that I don't have regrets in the event that something does happen to me, and, and I can't I can't do things the way that I once did, or God forbid, I can't earn income anymore. Maybe it's, I get so sick uh, that I'm not able to provide for myself anymore. And so the idea of having that financial independence to know that I don't have to be relying upon a job to survive is comforting with balancing that, with knowing that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So make sure you're you're also living your life at the same time.
0: Yes, I completely agree with that mentality. It's been very sad to hear those disheartening cases where one of the people in a couple gets a horrible disease or passes away just as they retire and are planning their retirement together. So that happens all the time, like you said. So I think that it's important to enjoy the journey to financial independence too enjoy your life now as much as you can but also try to be wise and diligent and safe for the future too so it sounds like you are doing your best to find that balance in your life and I think you're doing a great job with it so thank you
1: thank you and to also balance it with giving too I think that that's something to to I think Dave Ramsey what is very big about giving and I do I do like that Aspect that he preaches, and, and last year I did have I had so much fun having that extra money and, and giving it in various ways. I had uh, some of my friends and I we went. I sponsored a table at a gala, and me and my friends had a fun night together at a, at a charity event um, that I that I care about in Nashville called Project Cure, and that was so satisfying to be able to do that and to go on the trip with my sister and um, just different ways that it's funding the medical trip, like. I think with this 1099 job, you are paying less taxes. And with that, I do think you have somewhat of an ethical obligation to make sure that those savings are going towards good causes, of course. Some people might disagree with me, but I do think that it's a a wonderful thing to be able to use those tax savings that you're having to put towards charities and people that you care about, um, in addition to saving for your future as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think that it sounds like you've been able to bless so many in your life. You have been able to give to strangers. You've been able to take your sister on that trip. So it's so wonderful to see how giving you are of yourself and of the wealth that you're building too. So that's great, Caroline. Keep that up. And I think many good things will come to you in the future. Thanks. And thanks again so much for sharing all of this information over the past couple of episodes. But if the listeners have some more questions or want to get in touch with you, where can they find you to connect or to learn more?
1: The best place to find me would be on Facebook. You could uh, reach out through the Facebook group that I'm an admin of, APP Networking for Locum's Newbies. You can post a question to the wall or reach out to me over Messenger. Um, and I'd be happy to take additional questions.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Caroline. I think that It was just a wealth of information of what you have shared with both myself and the listeners about Locum's work as well as 1099. And thank you so much for taking all the time that you took to record these episodes. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in